What we we realize is that with explosion of AI, people are trying to, you know, look into it. How can AI drive efficiency in many different ways? So we created an AI assistant for our customer success directors, emailed our customers and said, hey, we'd love to talk to you about this new product development. It's called conversational email. And they were like, oh, can you tell me more? And then we went, well, you've already experienced it. That wasn't me emailing you this week. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Paul Gilhooley. Paul is the VP in charge of Amir Expansion and Growth for Sixth Sense. He'll try very hard not to sell his product here. But the reason I've got him on is often we would have operators, authors, CEOs who've scaled and exited. And occasionally I get an expert on who has a insight into a particular challenge that many scale-up businesses face. And today, Paul's going to come on and talk about how AI is impacting go-to-market. And not in a two years from now or three years from now, in a what's happening today in the marketplace on the product that he sells. But, you know, they're the market leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant. And look, here's some of the stats. They have got a generative AI product that allows marketing to not send leads to sales reps but the generative AI can engage a prospect or a suspect in a conversation and only pass it off to sales when there's a meeting booked. And so you overcome this whole challenge where marketing say sales never follow up, this whole discussion about is it an MQL, what's the value of an MQL, you haven't tried hard enough, the leads are all rubbish. And at Sixth Sense, their generative AI tool internally is now generating 10% of their pipeline. There's an equation for sales, sales velocity equation, which is the number of opportunities multiplied by the average order value, multiplied by the average close rate divided by time. And Sixth Sense impacts every single element of this. They are driving up by 45% for their clients' average deal size. They are reducing the time to close. They are increasing the win rate by 13%. And one of the other things they're doing is some of the data suggests that the first company through the door will win 84% of the time. And so they're also helping organizations understand which companies in their total addressable market are in market, which if they help you select the right targets can improve your close rate eightfold, or there's a propensity to close eight times higher than the, the opportunities you're working with. And so they help reps get in the door of the first company through the door. So just a huge impact on improving the efficiency of the current human cost of sales and marketing, improving the efficiency of any 
spend around sales and marketing. And so, which is why they have a a retention rate of more than 100%. Their clients are sticking and their clients are growing with them. So I just wanted to bring you the conversation with Paul so you get a sense of, is that true in your sales organization? Are these things true in your business? Is this something that you think you should look at? If you're growing 300% year over year and you have none of these challenges, maybe this isn't the episode for you. But I had a great conversation with Paul and I'm sure for the rest of you, you'll really enjoy it. My name's Paul Gilhooley, one of the VPs here at Six Sense. Background, so 20 years in sales and basically SaaS. I've predominantly been in MarTech, currently uh, live in London. Recent father, recent husband, lover of food, big Arsenal fan. But yeah, that's me. Looking forward to speaking to you, Dominic. We get, uh, you know, we get authors on, we get operators on, and from time to time we get specialists on. And so today this is uh, getting you on in the, in the specialist slot around MarTech sales stack. I think I've introduced your firm to a number of clients and I've got a number of clients who've already acquired your technology before we started speaking to them. But before we talk about any of that, let's, let's sort of wind back. Why did you join Sixth Sense? Like what were you doing before? Like why did, why did this company seem like it was something interesting and exciting to get into? Interesting. Let's start. Well, look, my background, which I'll provide context, was started as a BDR. And then went into different like sales leadership roles, managing multiple different teams before growing an EMEA region at a, a previous company. They were a content marketing platform that had a built-in audience. And what we started to realize is how you could monetize the data, what then became intent data and as a way to help companies prioritize where they should be focusing in terms of uh, which accounts were in market perhaps. And how they could improve conversions. Uh, When I was at my old company, though, I realized that we had such a limited view on certain markets. This idea of intent data was was limited. And if I'm being honest, I I don't know how big your audience is, but I was fudging it. I was wearing the company hat. And I knew that we weren't solving the bigger problems. And I I can talk to those. But what it did do is that led me on a path to think about my exit. You know, the company got acquired and I was there for nine years or so. So I was already sort of looking for what was next. And uh, there was a couple of things that were really important to me. One, I was ready to be the first man on the ground and launch a region. So that was super interesting. Like Before at my old place, I was one of three sellers with my managing director. And I was going, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be the guy who grows the region. So that was important to me. But this product area, I could see that data was becoming more and more used in go-to-market. And it sent me on a bit of a path. So I started researching predictive analytics, customer data platforms. And then I landed at SixthSense. And I realized, oh, of course, AI. Some really smart people had already solved this. And some of these problems that we can talk to about how data, but AI can really solve the challenge about actually who is in market. So I wasn't really focused on ABM and the terms that are used, but more around data and AI. And then I found SixthSense, researched them, and I was actually probably a year and a half, maybe to two years, I was just tracking them. And then I started seeing them being bought by my customer base. I was like, when are they going to come to Europe? When are they come to Europe? And they got a, a round of funding and it was at that point where I was like, right, I'm now going to put my old BDR hat on. And I prospected every exec in the company. I did not apply. I was like, no, I, I could get ruled out that way. So I hounded them, forced my way into a process. 
And then, yeah, here, you know, ooh, six month process it took to get the role, but it came from my domain knowledge and my passion around the product and what it could do. And again, there might be some of the things we talk about, but very much, very, very passionate about what we do and the problems we solve. And that's fab. Like a man after my own heart. I've done that. Open up a mirror for two US-based tech firms in in my career, and and a coach a number of other people who are doing that at the moment, and it's just so much fun. Yeah, I think you've got to be at a stage of your career. I think if that this had come five years or more, I definitely wouldn't have been ready for it. But yeah, fun and and when you do start seeing a business and a region grow, yeah, incredibly proud as well. And it's really picking a good sector, and then you know you pick a company that's the leader in Gartner Magic Quadrant, that's helpful, you know, as opposed to, you know, fighting your way through for the underdog, you know, better to be in the best business in the space, in a growing space. So for the people who don't know what we're talking about, like what space are you in? How would you, how would you define what problem you're solving for people? Yeah, like you said, we're recognized in a lot of analyst reports for ABM, intent data and everything else. I guess what you're seeing in go-to-market teams is this shift from a a lead-based model to an account-based model. But we can talk about that in a bit more detail. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned problems. It's probably a good way of talking through how we help. And I can then get into some elements of the the product if that's of interest. Well, where to start? I I guess the way we look at it, that go-to-market teams, whether you're in marketing or sales, they're fundamentally dependent on guesswork. So what do, I, what do I mean by that? If we look at, depending on what research you look at, but it will be anywhere from, say, 5 to 10% of your mar- your TAM will be in market at any given moment, right? And that is difficult because you're searching, you know, where are these accounts that are already in a position to purchase that they're aware of maybe your product or your your solution? But the problem is that buyers today are anonymous. They don't want to engage with you. They don't want to um, engage with sales. So it becomes really difficult. A good example of this, like web traffic, you know, those that are raising their hand and filling out forms, only 3% do that. Some people believe that that stat has gone down, but it's been pretty consistent for the last 10 years or so, right? But the problem's getting more difficult because people are becoming more informed. There's more buyers involved in research and so on. And it's just being more complicated for companies to go to market. So we've been dependent on maybe a bit of segmentation. There's been spray and pray, you know, in terms of marketing to try and reach accounts that could potentially buy from them. What what a lot of this leads to, though, is companies are missing out on opportunities altogether. You know, you mentioned a lot of the companies that you speak to are that sort of early stage or scale ups to a certain size and what a challenge they have, right? We have a customer who's a very large dominant player in more of an enterprise space and they did some third party research to understand market share, but also what's the volume of opportunities they were missing out on. And despite being the dominant brand, the sort of directional feedback they got was that they were missing out on 85% of opportunities. And they were the biggest brand and the biggest player. Because although they were the biggest, their market was quite fragmented. I would argue it's fragmented, it's competitive, but it's still quite mature and so on. But the problem with what I suppose we're highlighting is this guesswork. You are either missing out on opportunities altogether, you could be getting to deals late if they're coming to you, 
or worse still, you are focusing on the wrong account. The accounts that are not in a position to buy, not or won't be in a position to buy for a foreseeable. This is leading to challenges around pipeline, conversions, sales cycle, productivity with reps. And in the economy today, that's even worse because in a downturn, there's even less demand for your products and services. Let me take you back to this 85% of opportunities missed. So if I'm the CEO and I'm listening to this, it's like, you know, I wonder what it is for us. But in, in that case, was that was that work that you and the team did at Sixth Sense to identify that they were missing out on 85% of opportunities? Or No, they actually hired a third-party consultancy. They're a large enterprise in the storage space, so they spent a fair bit of money. And I think that's a lot of the traditional analysis that companies will do, right, which is get a third-party, do some market research, it's very static, will give you some ideas, but it's not dynamic. And I think we're, what we're doing this is we're leading into what Sixth Sense does, right? We we would position ourselves as, you know, a, a revenue AI platform. So I'm sure you're like, what does that mean, right? That's great to be positioned like that. What does it mean? If Actually, if I take a step back, we've been going for 10 years and our founders uh, were in the consultancy demand gen space and really launched the business with a very simple you know, question, which was, wouldn't sales and marketing be much easier if we just understood who was in market? If we just knew that, we'd just market to those people and we'd get better results, right? <laughs> that sounds like Mystic Meg. Yeah. Like tarot card reading. Come on. Yeah. So that is it. You know, That was a very simple question, but obviously very difficult to answer. But as we've seen shifts in buyer behavior, as we've seen, you know, more and more of the research happening online, there are ways to identify these accounts. And that is really, you know, where we, we come in because what Sixth Sense does, I mean, I can go into the product if we want to go into that level, but you're really thinking about it in terms of the data layer, there's AI intelligence, and we bring that intelligence right. into all of your channels. But if I were to frame it in a very simple way, we enable your go-to-market teams to know when an account is in market for your product and solution. If this is a good account for you, right? Super important, right? Aligned to ICP and historical performance data. Okay. We will then be able to tell you who you should be contacting. The name of the person? Yeah, we, we provide contact data and so on. We will be able to tell you what this this account cares about so you know how to engage. We can take it even a step further and we can tell you what to... Tell me where he lives. (laughs) No, we won't get to that level. But but what we can do, we've got generative AI. So we can even say it for you. So we have an email, AI email assistant that can handle back and forth interactions with your target audience and will only bring in a human intervention once they know a meeting is ready to be booked. So we're talking about an end-to-end revenue process is what we provide. Okay. So some of that, how do you, thinking about the total addressable market and then who's in market, how do you know who's in market and how do you know whether it's going to be a good account for me? Yeah, and probably what I'll do is take a step back. Everything I said probably, like you said, is like, AI sounds too good to be true. What what, what are we talking about? And I, I would say... You know, what we've seen is just an evolution of how companies go to market and they're looking for efficiencies. They're looking for performance gains. 
And, you know, a good example is, hey, the term ABM, right, is becoming more and more prominent and is a go-to-market play. If we break that down, what, what does that mean? What companies have realized over time is that it's less about mass reach and you're trying to reach the right type of companies. You know, what companies can I sell to, you know, maybe at a quicker rate with, for a higher order value? Which ones would retain better? And this is all led towards this ABM piece. So normally there's a process of ICP, ideal customer profile definition. You know, you're identifying that. You're using certain sources to identify that. And again, I'll talk in six sense terms, but you're ultimately looking and going, hey, this is the ideal customer profile. How can we go reach these companies? And can we market to them? Can we sell to them? This has been what companies are doing because they deliver better results, better efficiencies. Over time, solutions like um, Sixth Sense become really sophisticated in that. We can do, you know, a lot of good anecdotal customer stories for you here, but people typically or go to marketing will struggle with ICP definition. It might be quite basic. We, again, apply AI where we will look back over years of performance data, you know, your opportunity data, and we'll start to be able to clearly define what your ICP looks like and give it a rank into the strong moderate. Pulling that data out of their CRM system? Yeah, yeah, exactly. CRM and Mac, what we're doing is starting to look at all of that data. We apply, like, if you think profile and firmographic data around, hey, what are the companies you target convert? But then we're also, to your question about understanding whether they're in market, looking at the behaviors within an account. What are the typical behaviors we see before a sales qualified opportunity is, is opened and relating to close one data? So if we understand which accounts yield the best results, you know, how do we go find more of those accounts? And essentially, that's a big part of what we do. So we can tell a customer once we start working with them, hey, of all the ICP accounts in your market, we can start to see which of those are researching, but importantly, which of these are actually in market. And we even take it a step further and we actually tell you how many of these accounts are actually in your CRM. And so many go-to-market teams are blind that not only do they not have a holistic view of their TAM and their ICP, but most of the accounts are not even in your CRM. So you have no meaningful way to contact and engage them. And if they hit on your website, because they're not in your CRM, if, you, you know, if you've got a tech stack that's reasonably mature, nothing pops up because you're not, you're not looking for them turning up because you don't even know they exist. Well, this is it, right? I go back to that stat that typically, if you're doing well, probably, 3% of your web traffic are filling out forms. So a big part of our product is being able to identify these anonymous accounts. So account identification, that is applied to not only your website, but across the third-party B2B web. So we can identify these accounts, match it to your ICP, so understand which accounts and link it to the behaviors. What are they researching? What are they doing? What do they care about? understanding you know the account and understanding the behaviors within the account or intent data as the sort of industry calls it but importantly we match that with your data your historical opportunity data and that's where we do some pattern matching and we can then accurately predict which accounts are in market to the level where we predict for sales which accounts are going to be most likely to open a sales qualified opportunity in the next 90 days and typically, that's 12 times more likely than the accounts that you're working today. Which is, that's huge. 
like pipeline creation is, you know, if I talk to the salespeople, they go pipeline creation. We use a tool in our clients called target operating model. And we had this sort of, the guy who runs the support team, he had this sort of aha moment a couple of months ago. So we map out this sort of quote to cash process and we map out the functions that customers travel through. So they travel through marketing and then they travel through sales. Maybe there's pre-sales, professional services, onboarded, managed services, and then there's sort of the in-life, in-life management or support. And we're looking at that support function and it's amber and he looks at the rest of it and it's all red. And he said, I've just realized something. There's nothing I can do on my own. If we can't fix marketing, sales will keep selling stuff to people that we shouldn't really sell to because they're trying to hit their number. And then I've, I'm left with clients who are not an ideal fit for us and they're never happy. Yeah. And so then the whole executive team realizes that they as a team have to fix marketing. Marketing isn't something they can just leave broken or not or suboptimal. And it was like, he just looked at me and went, I hadn't realized before. I thought I was on my own and I was failing and now I realize I'm in a team sport. And one of, I just wanted to pick up on one of the things you said before, though, which was that this email piece, because, you know, there's always that tension. I see it every day between sales and marketing. The marketing people go, we're generating enough leads. It's just those lazy bastards won't pick up the phone and talk to them. And the salespeople say, well, I've rang them and they're not looking for anything for 18 months. And if they're not looking because they don't have enough pipeline, I'm not going to talk to them because I have this much narrower time frame, that difference between a lead and an opportunity. And you're saying you've got that piece of tech in the middle, AI email, that can engage those people and do something with them as opposed to them just spending money and then pouring it down the drain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many different things that we could talk about. The classic sales and marketing alignment, the distrust between MQLs and sales. And hey, if they are following up, I would say that's better than most. (laughs) Normally, it's they're not good. You know, and marketing say, how do you know they're not good? You haven't contacted them or you haven't met the SLA. You haven't contacted them enough. And, you know, on that, that is that market shift and, and why Sixth Sense has such good product to market fit. Because for a decade and more and through the adoption of marketing automation and everything else, go-to-market teams have always been looking for prioritization to deliver better outcomes. But the way in which we prioritize has fundamentally changed, both by buyer behavior, but with the technology that we have available. So with marketing automation and lead scoring, it's all been about, hey, we're going to prioritize the best leads that are engaging with us based on their profile. You know, we'll give you a score of 20 because you hit a persona and you watched a webinar or you downloaded a white paper. But we know that that does not indicate a propensity to purchase especially in the tech world and SaaS and whatnot. You know, Gartner's latest research, depending on ACV levels, anywhere between 14 to 23 buyers. But we don't look at the account. We don't look at the account level. We're still in MQL land, which is this individual did this, must be good. And then we use all of this resource to go, hey, follow up, follow up, follow up, all these touch points, probably pissing them off, if I'm allowed to say this on the podcast, <laughs> you know, and and creating distrust, brand impact, and say, look, just because I engage with your content does not mean I'm ready for a meeting, but we're going to hammer you 20 times in 20 days. Yeah. And all the lost productivity. So our whole thing is using your resource, budget, and everything else on the accounts that are, you know, statistically will yield the better results. However, it doesn't mean that the odd person who does engage with a webinar could not, you know, lead to a purchase. So how do you how do you cover bases? And that's where our tool and AI and generative AI comes into play. So for us, we call this conversational email, 
but it is this i like to look at it as really marketing taking back of control and owning the whole entire sla process or removing that sla process with sales okay. and saying hey my handshake to you sales is that we'll only bring in one of your reps when a meeting is confirmed how about that the reps like sure that sounds amazing because then i'm going to con- i'm going to focus on the high value stuff <laughs> And that's how it should be. I'm just going to stand here with a lack of belief until I see it. Yeah, you prove it to me. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll give you some stories about, I'll tell you a little bit about how it works and, and how we validated some of it. But ultimately, um, marketing automation, we've got sales engagement platforms. They, well, what they say, automation platforms. So they will automate nurture campaigns or emails and so on but as soon as a human responds you know you're one of your personas then human intervention is needed and then there's the back and forth but we know when they respond it doesn't mean the work is over that they're ready for a meeting you know it could be hey this is of interest can you send me some more information oh no i'm the wrong person you should talk to them oh can i get more content uh not for six months whatever form it is the ai assistant will understand what you're saying respond in the tone and you know your brand in a reflective way and will handle those interactions out of office direction to someone else and will only introduce a rep when needed so it's an ai but marketing will hate me saying a bot they found that word but for you and your audience <laughs> that will be a good way of looking at it right and i'll give you a, a good use case that we did because of your response is always the response. Like, really? What? But if you think of like ChatGBT3, it's, it's creating a workflow around that and creating parameters and structure that a go-to-market team can use. I can talk about how we've built confidence with customers. I use a virtual PA to book all my meetings. Clara from Clara Labs. And people say things like, your PA is really efficient. I mean, she sent me a, she sent me a reminder for tomorrow's meeting at 11 p.m., God, she works hard for you. And, you know, they've chatted backwards and forwards, like, have a nice weekend. Yeah, yeah, you too. Uh, you know, happy Friday, whatever. And they'd go back and I say, that's a bot. And they go back in and go, I can't, can't. The worst people are when it's a PA or an EA, because they see this dystopian future where they've just, they've, they've now interacted and, and thought they'd built rapport with somebody that is a bot and they just see a dystopian future where they're out of work. But it's incredibly powerful. So, I, you know, I haven't used the email tool that you speak of, but... I have experience in in something that's been fabulous. Yeah, conceptually, it's the same sort of piece, but imagine that in cross uh, a demand gen play. So what we we realize is that, hey, with explosion of AI, you know, it's very topical. People are trying to, you know, look into it. How can AI drive efficiency in many different ways? But there is still this nervousness. So we felt, right, we're going to build confidence. How is the best way that we could do it? Unleash it on our customers. So we created an AI assistant for our customer success directors, emailed our customers and said, hey, we'd love to talk to you about this new product development. It's called conversational email. And then we had interaction back and forth and we set up meetings. And then they were like, hey, this product sounds really interesting. Bryce or Janine, who was leading our, our CS teams. And they were like, oh, can you tell me more? And then we went, well, you've already experienced it. That wasn't me emailing you this week. <laughs> and you got all of it. Like there was everyone like, oh, you know, or I think we had a, a handful of people going, I feel in some way I've been like catfish. <laughs> but it's really interesting. You know, we're, I believe we're scratching the surface of the different use cases. But fundamentally, everyone's looking to drive efficiency or productivity. 
So we've got BDRs or sales reps who do not want to be following up on this thousand leads or whatever, or, you know, big trade show. It's like, you don't have to. We're going to manage the SLAs. We'll do all of this for you. We'll manage the back and forth in the tone, in the time that you want. Marketing can control it. And we'll only bring you in when you need it. You focus on the high value stuff. That makes a lot of sense. So what sort of efficiency gain are you getting as a result? What, six cents a whole? Oh, well, no, I was just thinking, I was just thinking, you know, there you are. You've got some sort of BDR team or SDR team. And, you know, instead of ringing a thousand leads on the back of a trade show, you know, the AI, conversational AI is taking, you know. So I, I think, well, we should be able to get to higher value conversations quicker. The timeline for those should be shorter. You know, some sense of, can I therefore generate more opportunities with a smaller team. I'm then passing them into sales, their meetings. I should be able to close more revenue with a smaller team. I'm accessing, I'm talking to more people who are in markets and my pipeline should be, pipeline creation should be more efficient. Just thinking, like, what size team do you need to put this in? If I put this in, in your world, what's your ICP and what's the smallest you go down to in terms of sales teams? Oh, right. There was a lot in there. If I circle back on, on some stuff, look, hey, all the outcomes that you were talking about are absolutely correct. You know, when we speak part of what we do, we're, I think one of the things I'm most grateful about working with Sixth Sense, not only being able to use the platform myself to, to grow our revenue and grow the region, but is that because we are integrated with our customers' stat, we have access to their opportunity data. So we've got real tangible ways to go and communicate the value we bring. But we also do uh, we do a quarterly business impact report where we're assessing what are the outcomes we're delivering for customers. And you've got the before and after information, you know, because you, you've gone and looked at when you're doing the sort of ingest to look at the ICP. It's like, well, we can see how well you were performing before you turn this on. This is how well we've made you work now. Yeah, and that continues, right? So this is, you know, if I think about pre-sales, we're talking uh, our big differentiator and the things that we talk to is our ability to prove value. You know, we sell on value, we speak to value, and that continues through the, the life cycle because of a few things. We've got access to that data, and, um, and I'll talk to the outcomes, but just before I forget, one of the biggest and boldest moves Sixth Sense did was build in a report, a self-service report, which shows, hey, the accounts that we're recommending are in market how better they convert than the other accounts that you're working. So it's literally a chart and you can see the efficiency gains. Now, if that report goes in the wrong direction, they chat. But it's also the best way to drive adoption because if we're telling a, you know, a sales rep, hey, these accounts are eight times more likely going to lead to a sales qualified opportunity. Why would you not focus on this? It's a bold move from a vendor to be so accountable to results when it's self-service. But obviously, that comes from the results that we do deliver. And we've got incredible customer advocacy. We are just um, I'm so, so fortunate on that respect. But it is all about the results we deliver. So are you able to say what your retention percentage is? Or is that a secret? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's hey, it's the, well, I haven't formally got approval on this. But I'll show it. <laughs> hey, this is, this is why we're, we've had multiple rounds of, you know, investment and uh, we're seen as potential IPO candidate, even in this market, right? It is the value that we bring to our customers. And last year, like our net retention was, was over 120%. 
You know, that, that's significant. It's what the investors want because not only are you retaining your customers, but you're growing your customers. And that can only, only be if you're delivering value. And, you know, the outcomes that we're delivering typically fall, you know, into, into four categories. This point of, you know, a lot of the questions I'm asking CROs is, hey, do you have a process to ensure you're not missing out on opportunities? And there's always a bit dumbfounded, like, no, maybe I should have a process. That's that anonymous research, that dark funnel, as we call it. But us giving you visibility into the accounts that are doing anonymous research instantly gives you an opportunity to improve opportunity volume. On average, that's 39% for our customers. But the AI enables you to nail the timing of when you should engage. And we know those that nail timing and get into accounts first. 84%, depending on what research, but certainly ours indicate 84% of those that get in first win the deal. But what the outcome of that is for us is we see customers' win rates improve by 13%. And importantly, larger deal sizes can increase by 45%. So this is huge. But I think the biggest one, they're all big, but the big one for driving real rep productivity is can you shorten sales cycles? And on average, again, it's it's they reduce by 38% because if you're fundamentally getting all of your reps in front of accounts that have a much higher propensity to buy, people are more willing to take meetings and so on. And they, if they're already aware of the problem, they're already like, yes, this is something we need. You just see that shorten and that can have a dramatic impact. What are some of the things that you don't do at the minute that, I mean, I'm not asking you about the product pipeline or, you know, I was just thinking, what do you think more generally in the marketplace? You know, what's what's next as a result of, probably as a result of AI? Well, I, I'm thinking about sales and marketing and, you know, go to market. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, what's happening with open AI and different things, I think the use cases really are infinite. I mean, we spoke about the generative AI from the our conversational email tool, right? That is now contributing 10% of our pipeline. Right. And we are, you know, relatively large now. We in ARR, we're, we're over 200 million now. We're a sizable company and we've got generative AI creating 10% of our pipeline. That is, that is significant. Right. And, and again, I feel we've got eight identified plays that we use it for. But when you think it, think through it, we're just a bit like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Certainly the generative AI where it's creating emails and copy for you. I think that is in one form. And there's a lot of time saved on this. But if you think about it, like I think everyone's testing with AI now. I mean, you can instantly go onto tools and say, hey, compare these products or write an email copy, write four paragraphs for this. So, you know, I always joke with my marketing director, I was like, oof, you need to up your game because, you know, there, there's, there's some risk here. I mean, I joke because, but it's about the efficiencies you can gain. You know, there's so many marketers. I know that all of their posts, their social media and everything else is being written by AI. So it's productivity gains, I think, is really the big ones. And where, what can that do to go to market teams? Because you think about how much time is spent creating content, writing copy. Still got to have a human element to control that narrative the brand and the tone but it's such a game changer to have something like this you know content creation i think is one of the biggest opportunities because it's so time consuming especially to do well yep fab paul what is it you know now you wish you'd known earlier 
if I look back to my younger self as a salesperson, that you can't win alone. <laughs> if uh, I look back, oh, I think I was younger in my, I was probably a stereotypical ego-driven sales rep. And I wanted to show and prove that I could do it all. When actually, that's never the case. And certainly, you learn that more and more as your career progresses. As soon as you go into leadership, so I, I very much have like a servant leadership style, if you like. I think my role is to create an environment where others can be successful. If I'd learned that earlier, I'm sure I probably would have done better and closed some more deals trying to do everything on my own. Okay, fab. And Sixth Sense, your CMO has a book. But she's now she's now our, our CRO. CRO. It's called No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls, which is a great book. People should get a hold of that. What else, though, should people read do you think what what's been good for you or maybe what you what were you reading whilst lying on the lounger in lanzarote in the summer or wherever you were <laughs> well yeah it's pretty if you talk about sort of professionally some of the books yes definitely read the six cents book by the way that is our go-to-market bible everything in there is how we go to market like i say, i swear i just think we're in a very fortunate position where we use our own platform to drive our own growth and we've gone from niche player to category leader in a very short period of time using that go-to-market Bible. So I'd definitely say recommend that. But for me personally, a couple of books that um, stand out from a more strategic point of view, Exponential Organizations is a very good read. Uh, really like that one. That was good just about you know digital native companies and different efficiencies and some of the things they've got there. Again, I see some alignment with Sixth Sense on that. And then from a more functional, practical piece, um, from a sales perspective, the qualified sales leader by John McMahon, I think is a classic because of not, well, so much good stuff in there, but the way it's written, it doesn't feel, you know, it's not too academic. There's a bit of a story and a real life experience around that. But from a SaaS enterprise sales motion, there is so much to like in that book. And it um, really resonates in a very simple way. It's communicated and written. Fab, Paul. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Likewise, enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.